Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caring Bar. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. How good is uh, another in the fire? It's a good song. What I love about that story in particular with Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny is that when they came out of the fire, not only were their clothes not burnt, but the word records for us that they didn't even smell like smoke. That is the level of protection that the Lord has for you in the fire that you may feel you're in right now. And I don't know about you, but I, I have fires at home. I had one on Tuesday night. Elise had her life group at our house, and they sat around the fire in the backyard. And I've only got to get within arm's reach of a fire, and my hair absorbs every piece of fire smell in the suburb. And I smell like it for days unless I wash this glorious bouffant. But the Lord in the fire that you are in is placing his protection around you that not even one fiber will be infiltrated by the enemy's plan on your life. He's got one. But the goodness of God is such that not even the smoke in the fire will enter your clothing. How good is that? That's great news. If you're like me and end up in fires a little bit, people in my life are often putting them out. Thank you. Brett and Jen. So so over the last few weeks, we've been lowering our buckets uh, into the well of abundance uh, where God's promises flow to us through Scripture. And with every hoist as we've brought our buckets up, there has been new revelation and there has been new hope, I believe, that we have grabbed onto as we have wrestled with these truths of Scripture that are laid out for us in Jesus' name. We've looked at the, uh, the promises of God flowing, sorry, from the pages of Scripture are truths that have withstood the test of time. These are truths of Scripture that have withstood all that history has thrown at them. Even as we have prayed for um, America and our own nation, that as nations have risen and as nations have fallen, that the promises of Scripture in, against every failing of the world has stood true. For eternity they will. We've looked at the promise of God being with us, the promise of God to give us a hope and a future, the promise of God to give rest to the weary, and today we're going to unpack a promise that is brought to us by the pen of Paul. But my prayer is today that we abandon the buckets and that we would dive headfirst into the well, that we wouldn't just be satisfied by drawing up a little, that we would want to submerse ourselves in the lot, that we would soak in the upwelling of God's grace and word as it bubbles and it rises and it flows and it emerges within us, we would find ourselves in the well. I see a church, in fact, and as I was preparing this week, God was just showing me pictures again of a church which is baptized, immersed again and again and again and again with the spirit and the word of God. It was a wonderful moment. In fact, he took me to Ezekiel chapter 47, 
where Ezekiel is led by the Lord in, in these amazing visions. And he has this one where the Lord takes him to the temple and there is streams flowing from under the altar out to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west from the presence of God. There is this river flowing. And the Lord grabs him by the hand and he, and he walks him first into the water. And it's, he's, he's ankle deep. And I could probably sense that Ezekiel was getting a little bit excited going, how about more? And the Lord takes him by the hand and he, and he takes him in knee deep. And then a little bit further, he takes him in waist deep. And as they continue, he ends up in over his head, deep enough that he couldn't even cross the water. So it's my conviction that an immersed church will be an effective church, that God is leading us forward in a way that what felt like full immersion in days gone by is only going to feel like ankle deep in days to come. That it's easy for us to remember the glory days. I remember when church was like, I remember that time when God did and it felt like in those moments we had a high tide mark of God's presence and power in our lives. My belief is that what used to be the high tide mark is only gonna feel like ankle deep in the future. That's gold. He's building his church on foundations that are steeped in his presence and glory, a church submerged in the refreshing waters of grace, a church washed and made holy by the cross. He's taking his church into deeper water where only faith will float us and hope can anchor us. Thank you, Lord. So Paul in 2 Corinthians gives us a promise that comes from Jesus. And just for a little bit of context here of, of where and how and the circumstances surrounding where this promise was inserted into Scripture, um, This was Paul in 2 Corinthians. Um, He had planted the church in Corinth, which is recorded for us in Acts chapter 18. Uh, After he'd planted the church and moved on, word had gotten back to him that things were going a little bit awry in Corinth. They weren't going quite as planned. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians um, to the church to bring them back, to realign them, to remind them, to instruct them to address all of the the, the tomfoolery that was going on in different things in church life, and it was received very poorly. In fact, his letter went down like a lead balloon. The church in Corinth ended up rebelling against Paul's authority, actually rejecting him as their leader. I mean, I wonder how Paul kind of felt at a at a distance once that news got back to him again. I can imagine that he would have been pretty disappointed, pretty heartbroken, pretty grieved by all of the investment that he had placed into this young and fledgling church just to learn that they had rejected him and that they had gone an entirely different route. So Paul, in what is called the painful visit, um, maybe like going to your mother-in-law's place, I don't know, um, If you're watching Gail Kale, I love you with all of my heart, and it would never be a painful visit at your house. I say that in all truth. But he went and and what was called a painful visit to confront in person the tension that was in the church and in their relationship. And after that, we get 2 Corinthians that Paul writes as he says 
in the word through anguish and through tears. And after his visit and his letter, most but not all of the believers in the church in Corinth uh, realized that they were being thugs and they wanted to reconcile with Paul. And so his second letter was there to reassure them of his love for them. Let's pray before we read the word. Father, we thank you that right now, whether fire or not, you are right here in our midst. Father, that your protective hand, that your wisdom, that your love, that your grace and your mercy abound toward us right now. And Father, we pray as we open your word and we we look at some more of the promise that is ours in Jesus' name, we pray our hearts would come alive, that we'd see Jesus more clearly and that we'd be more inclined to follow him as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna read uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse one to 10. It's gonna be on the screen. I'm gonna put Cain to work up the back here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, if you've got your Bible, you can open it up. It says this, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know I am a man in Christ, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man cannot utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf, Paul says, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. This is the promise that we are looking at this morning. So a major factor in the equation of the church rejecting Paul was that he was poor, that he earned a living as a laborer. We learn in 1 Corinthians right at the beginning when he um, found a place to live, he settled down making tents. He was a tent maker. He was often homeless. He was always seemingly persecuted and suffering. And we know that Paul was not a very impressive public speaker. There wasn't a huge amount in conventional wisdom going for Paul in these regards. He wasn't fancy. He wasn't all this. He was a guy who went about his business for Jesus. In contrast, it turns out that in his absence, a new breed of leader had rolled into town. Wealthy, more impressive Christian leaders, ones with TV channels, 
fancy suits, to the bright lights and flashy fashion of this new breed of leader captivated the church in Corinth and they started to think less of Paul. They even became ashamed of him. Somewhere along the way, the idea of what Christian life and leadership looks like for the church of Corinth went a little bit skew-whiff. These super apostles, as Paul named them, came in flouting about how smart they were, how knowledgeable they were, how godly they are, how above everyone else, how their lives were all together. These guys had the manicured Instagram feeds, quoting all of the the glitzy and glamorous scriptures for the world to see and like. More than that, these, these leaders even had the audacity to badmouth Paul and drag his name through the mud to shame and discredit him. But what does Paul do? As Paul does, he uses a mix of wit and wisdom to get at these guys. He gloves up as if to go toe-to-toe with them. Oh, you're Jewish Bible experts, are you? Uh, Well, he's kind of like, well, I'm a Pharisee. I memorized the scripture. It's age 12. Gotcha. You want to bag about your superior knowledge of Jesus, he would say? I had a cappuccino scone with him after he busted out of the grave. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, chumps. Jesus took me to his pool room. He did. He took him into the throne room. How cool would that be? You know, you'd look at these super apostles and, you know, in the comparison game, what have you given your lives to? You know, charging people as they did with half-baked ministry? Well, I'll just sit over here and just reflect on all of the suffering and all of the beatings and all of the imprisonments and everything that I've gone to to tell the world about Jesus. Humble brag, hashtag humble brag. (laughs) See, at first we can think that Paul is lowering himself to the standard of these super apostles who were about flouting their accomplishments and their achievements and how great and how godly they were, but in fact, Paul was doing the exact opposite. He's making the point that it's not your achievements, it's not your wealth, it's not your accolades, it's not the certificates or the degrees hanging on your wall that count or the skinny jeans or the likes or the followers on your Instagram profile. Paul says, on my behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. If I were to boast, which he kind of did without doing it. That's where the wit and wisdom bit for Paul. I love it. He said, I wouldn't be a fool, and he wouldn't be. I mean, this guy has been responsible for seeding the church right across the known world. He wouldn't be a fool to say all of these things. But yet, he says, I refrain from it so that no one would think more of me than he sees or hears from me. See, Paul was in the thick of it. He was in the grind of confronting a culture of elitism, of superficiality, of pretense, and of pride that had slipped its way into the heart of the church. See, this season of ministry for Paul would have required every ounce of his effort, of his energy, of his spirit as he fought for the message of the cross. A message that says life is not about what you gain, but about what you give. 
Now, Paul says in chapter five of 2 Corinthians, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That those who might live might not live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And Paul was in the grind, in the thick of fighting for the gospel, for the church, for people that he loved, for hearts to align to the kingdom and not to the world. You know, this was about 20 years after um, his conversion on the road that day. You know, since then he'd been beaten up, he'd been thrown in prison, he'd pastored young leaders, he'd mentored young men and women, he'd raised up churches, he'd been thrown in jail, he got stoned, I don't blame him, (laughs) not that kind of stone, relax. He got, um, he got beaten with rocks thrown at him. Just unbelievable. Now, Paul was in the grind of life, in the grind of comparison, in the grind of disappointment, in the grind of grief, in the grind of leadership, in the grind of mission, in the grind of conflict, in the grind of trying to remain faithful and obedient to God, in the grind of tense relationships, in the grind of trying to maintain loyalty and faithfulness to the Lord, in the grind of keeping his ego at bay, in the grind of providing for himself, in the grind of work-life ministry balance, in the grind of living out the gospel and preaching it. And by the time we roll around to 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8, Paul was gassed. He was just out of puff over it. Everything that had gone on for him in this moment was right in front of him in full color, vivid, 5.1 Dolby surround sound. Everything in his life in this moment was closing in. Fighting for the future of the church, lost relationships, grief, Worry, you name it, Paul was in the grind. So Paul taps out. And we, if he was me, he would have headed down to the beach. And he finds a, a little rock to sit on and he, he looks out to the horizon and he takes a big, deep breath. And the whisper of Jesus was on the breeze. And a promise given that echoes from Paul's quiet time to our ears and hearts today. Hey, bud, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in all of your weakness. Maybe you're in the grind of busyness. Maybe you're in the grind of change. Maybe you're in the grind of decision-making. Maybe you're in the grind of parenthood. Maybe you're in the grind of conflict, of career decisions, of income stress, of employment stress. Maybe you're in the grind of questioning your value and your worth and your identity and your place in the world. Maybe you're in the grind of physical or mental health disruptions. Maybe you are in the thick of the grind of serving Jesus. I wanna let you know this morning that there is grace for your grind. If nothing else, write that somewhere down, there is grace for my grind. The Lord is here this morning and his whisper is again upon the breeze, saying to you, Norman, his grace is sufficient for you. 
that in your weakness, his power is made perfect. And he would echo that from heart to heart to heart this morning. That in every grind, every fire, every everything that you would find yourself in, that the promise of scripture is that his grace is enough. That it's in fact in our times where we feel the least and we feel the worst and we feel the downest and we feel the weakest that the power of God comes through in our lives. I was reminded of this moment where you, I'm not sure if you've ever been to a gym before and done a bench press. Uh, I don't know, Norman's done, but I'm picking on you this morning. Look at those biceps. This, uh, this man can bench. There's a point where you get to in a, a set of repetitions, it might be eight or ten or however many times you lift this thing, there gets to a point where you just can't lift anymore. The point where your muscles, the fibers begin to fatigue so much that as you push that bar up, doesn't matter how much push you give to your pusher, there is no pushing this thing again. That even as your eyes are bulging out and the veins are, are popping, regardless of any amount of effort, this thing is just not going anywhere. And then your gym buddy, he comes along and he catches your elbows, those quivering, shaking elbows, or grabs hold of the, the bar and lifts it so it doesn't land on your esophagus and crush you to death. Your gym buddy adds his strength to your weakness and sees you through the lift. You know, the promise of God that his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in weakness is him placing his hands under your elbows and lifting the thing which you cannot lift. You see, grace says, you've got this. Grace says, I am with you. Grace says, I'll take the weight. Grace lightens the load. Grace sees you through. Grace won't leave you hanging. Grace won't let you down. Grace is his strength binding to your weakness to make the miraculous happen. How good is grace? See, God doesn't take you from your grind. He gives you strength for the grind. If only he was that kind. Almost get a rap going there. You see, I think God is far too kind to take us from our grind. And there is so much that the Lord has for us in the thick of what you're in. So much richness and so much depth. You know, at times I've looked back over my life and haven't been able to see all that much tragedy or heartache. But, you know, as I look back and I, and I think I look at the harder times, the things I've been through, the things that have caused me anguish and the tears and the, all of that that Paul was going through, I look back over my life and man, they've been probably the most rich and formative things I've ever walked through. It's because there's grace for your grind, church. There is grace for your grind. So back to these super apostles that Paul had to contend with, Paul had a choice in his response to them as they were slagging him off. as they were discrediting, muddying the gospel culture of the church, he could have taken the low road and rattled off everything, 
Again, which he kind of did without doing it, talking in the third person. If I was going to talk about a guy, uh, it was actually him, uh, he didn't actually choose to respond by hitting the low road. Instead, what Paul chose to give is airtime to how flawed and how weak he is because he understands that it's in those inadequacies he discovers the love and mercy of Jesus. Paul was intent on showing that the believer's elevation of these super apostles, the ones who were all this and all that and were on the latest podcasts and all of the fancy things that super apostles kind of do in our day, he was intent on showing that the believer's elevation of these leaders because of their wealth and eloquence was in fact a betrayal of Jesus an emerging of a totally distorted value system that didn't look one iota like the kingdom. Paul's message to the church was that true Christian leadership and life is not about status or self-promotion, but about expending your life on behalf of others. And that, if you've ever tried it, is tremendously unglorious. Expending your life on behalf of others. You know, just even chatting briefly to Chrissy this morning, who got cupcakes delivered to their house yesterday? How good was the Jacaranda home delivery cupcakes? Wonderful. We got three boxes, none left. No, joking, there's some left. Afternoon tea today, promise. I'm going to the gym tomorrow. It's all good, relax. But Chrissy had a plan, they had some people you know, um, who were um, from Kellyville who wanted cupcakes, and they're like, we don't deliver past the Shire kind of thing, you know, true Shireites. Uh, or St. George, if you were lucky enough, um, just to be included in the inner place. And um, anyway, the pl- there was a plan. There was a whole bunch of people from Kellyville who bought these cupcakes because um, they, wanted, they were going to deliver them to all of the other people out there. One person was coming to pick them all up. That person got sick yesterday and couldn't come. So yesterday, Chrissy drove all these cupcakes to Balkham Hills probably wouldn't have told anyone that this was the grind of her day, but what an unglorious thing to do. Spend your Saturday in a car driving cupcakes around Sydney so people could have a cupcake. You see, ministry is not what many people would have you believe that it is. It is not a fanfare affair. It is not something that is just full of high times and wonderful moments and all of the glamour and all of the this and the that. It's often an unglorious life, expending it on behalf of others. So the power to live a life of faith, of influence, of effectiveness, of fruitfulness is not dependent on your credentials, your competence, your talent, your wisdom, or your knack for anything in particular on life, but wholly on the grace of God. We are called to emulate the life of Jesus, a life marked by sacrifice, humility, reliance, and intimacy with the Father. To the razzle-dazzle of popularity and power, be it in leadership or church or any other sphere of life, is like eating maccas. The benefits are short-lived. It looked good from the outside, but it leaves you feeling pretty gross on the inside. You know, I was so disheartened. You know, um, just yesterday, the day before, we learned of a, um, another uh, pastor in America 
very influential guy and has done some incredible ministry, but had a, um, a, a failing that has kind of cost him his, his ministry and his role as a pastor and um, brought devastating effects and impacts to his family. Um, that aside for a moment, I, I was scrolling through the, um, just some of the comments that people were leaving about this guy and about how, you know, this and that, and he, they can't believe it, and they were calling him this and calling him that. And, you know, I was just reminded as I did that, is don't place your faith and hope in any preacher, but put your faith entirely in Jesus. Following Jesus isn't about being impressive, but about pointing people to him who is. An unimpressive life is the canvas God uses for creating kingdom art that changes the world. I mean, think about Moses. He murdered a bloke, for goodness sake. (laughs) He married a foreigner. He refused the call of God on his life based on his own ability. Who's ever done that? Me. He doubted God. Who's done that? Me. He relied on his brother Aaron to speak to Pharaoh because he had a stutter. He needed assistance in governing and had to receive counsel from Jethro, his father-in-law. He exercised quite a temper on more than one occasion. He physically couldn't keep his arms up during the battle of the uh, Medians. Joshua and Aaron had to help. His family failed as examples. Miriam contracted leprosy. Two of Aaron's sons were consumed by fire. Aaron rebelled against God by casting the golden calf. Not all that crash hot, if you ask me. Moses was a mug, but God used Moses. How good's that? Moses was a mug, but God used Moses. In spite of his failings, God chose him and used him to bring freedom to a nation, to set captives free, to dismantle misused power, and to bring justice to humanity. If, if he could use Moses, my friends, he can use you and I. I'd say this to you this morning, don't wish away your weakness. Your weakness is the fertile soil for God's power to grow in your life. Your weakness leaves margin for his strength. Your weakness makes way for Christ-centered worship. Your weakness is the conduit through which his power runs. Your weakness keeps you humble. Your weaknesses keep you reliant on God and your weaknesses drive connection with other people. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in all consideration of my sin in the past, the sin that I wrestle with now and the sin that lays ahead for me, I am unworthy just as you are to be called a child of God. But by the grace of God, I am called his own. By the grace of God, he welcomed me home. By the grace of God, he has given me gifts. By the grace of God, he's given me purpose. By the grace of God, I am free. By the grace of God, I am made you. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, it's not the gym that gives you a butt. It's grace that gives you a butt. The grace of Jesus is this. You were condemned by sin, but now you're not. 
That's a nice but. You were lost, but now you're found. That's a good but. You were in darkness, but now you're in the light. You were living for yourself, but now you're not. You were relying on your smarts, but now you don't need to. You were wandering, but now you've got purpose. You were in chains, but now you're free. You were chased by an Egyptian army, but, but, but God made a way through the water. You were in a furnace, but God was with you and no harm came to you. Somebody say, by grace, I've got a butt. Turn to your neighbor and say, I like your butt. Can't believe I'm saying this in church. Sorry, Brett, emails, you can send them to me. Don't just bypass these guys. See, your, your, your butt is the testimony of God's grace in your life. You know, I believe that evangelism begins with your butt. The story of grace in your life. That the thing that you were, that now, but because of God's grace, you're not. I was this, but now I'm this. And I believe that when you have an encounter with the living God, that you could have a big but in your life too that changes the story for all of your days. The grace of God gives us a but. So that's the sufficiency of his grace. That when you're in the grind of life, he gives you what you need. When you're weak, he is strong. And his grace is always a reminder that, friend, you don't have to strive anymore. That it has all been done for you. I'm going to read some lyrics. Let's all stand together. I'll get the band to come up. This is a song by you too, funnily enough, called Grace. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. I'll spare you. Grace, she takes the blame She covers the shame, removes the stain, it could be her name. Grace, it's the name for a girl, it's also a thought that changed the world. And when she walks on the street, you can hear the strings, grace finds goodness in everything. Grace, she's got the walk, not on a ramp or on chalk. She's got the time to talk, she travels outside of karma. Karma, she travels outside of karma. When she goes to work, you can hear her strings. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace, she carries a world on her lips, no champagne flute for her lips, no twirls or skips between her fingertips. She carries a pearl in perfect condition. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace finds beauty in everything. So Lord, in this moment, we reflect on, on your grace and it's really difficult to do that without also reflecting on the ugliness that there's a propensity within us toward. Uh, the sin that so easily entangles Maybe the pride or the ego that we, we put before you. Maybe the way that we approach life with a sense of arrogance or a sense of being self-made. Father, we come before you and we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask that your grace would abound richly toward us right now in Jesus' name.
as we dive into that well of your promise that your grace is sufficient. There is nothing that we can do. There is nothing that we can say. There is no amount of right living or thinking. It is only through Jesus. Father, may we wallow as your church this morning in the grace that is on us, the grace for the grind, the grace that strength would arrive in our times of greatest weakness, that your power would be made manifest as we come to terms that we are not all it. Father, use us again and again and again and again as people who live by and for and through grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.